Ben says I should be up here so you could see me better. I know my shortness is, uh, works against me sometimes. So my name is Amanda O'Shea, and you'll hear an American accent because I am from the great state of Georgia and the United States of America. I've been living in Ireland for 11 years. I moved here in November of 2017, no, 2007, that would be just a couple of years ago, um, 2007, and, and that's actually kind of where I want to start um, as we dive into talking about Nehemiah today. Um, an interesting thing happened right after I arrived. I was hired by a church. And this church had a youth club in three different locations that they wanted me to oversee. And in that, um, I came around, you know, mid-November. So I was meeting lots of people. There were people having me up for dinner. Um, I was meeting them in large groups. I was meeting them in small groups. Uh, late nights, it was wonderful because I really felt like I was being invited into a community and it was, it was a wonderful time. But um, early days, I got a text from a Jane who said uh, she would like to go ice skating, that a gang of them were going, and would I like to go? And I said, oh yeah, that sounds great. I'm te- now this is on text. The only Jane that I could remember meeting was a parent of one of the youth uh, in the Lucan community, and that's who I had on the brain as to who I was texting. So in talking to her about how we would get there, she offered to come and give me a lift because I didn't know where anything was. In moving to Dublin, I'd never used public transport. I had to learn bus schedules and trains, and it was really awkward for me. But um, I did it eventually. Uh, but at this early stage, I asked her if she'd give me a lift. So this person came to my door, and it wasn't the Jane that I thought, and she said her name was Jane, but honestly, for whatever reason, I thought maybe the Jane I had met had sent this Jane to pick me up. So I just get in the car with this complete stranger, in my mind, and we go off to ice skating. Um, I'm there looking around for the other teenagers. I'm thinking they're going to arrive any minute. I'll back it up a couple of days. During the week, um, I ran into some of those Lucan teenagers in town, and I said, oh, I'll see you on Saturday. And they were like, what? What's happening Saturday? And I said, well, your mom organized an ice skating trip. And he was like, what? My mom organized something and didn't tell me anything about it? And I was like, yeah, maybe go home and ask her about it. So he did that. I'm there at the ice skating ring looking for them. I don't see anyone I recognize. Nobody. And then, so two hours later, we go to eat at Eddie Rockets with this two complete strangers, and I'm sitting across from them, and about three hours in, I finally said, look, I have to be really honest with you, I don't know who you are or why I'm here, but could you please explain? And they said to me that I had met them on like my first day or two into the country, that this was a singles event at the time I was single, and they were had invited me to go ice skating with a bunch of sing, Christian singles in Dublin, and I had not a clue. So that was kind of my first uh, trip up. The teenagers had a good laugh about it afterwards. When I saw them the following Sunday, we were on the floor laughing. But I felt invited straight away into a community. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as we look at Nehemiah. So hopefully this will... Oh, first one's already up. Great. Um, We've already prayed, but I just want to just pray as we 
look at the passage a little bit. Is that all right with everybody? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how you bring it to life. We just ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us as you bring your revelation to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not single now, just to clarify, uh, just in case, yeah, I might get any questions. I know, I'm looking nice today and everything. But uh, no, I, uh, I met a lovely Irish man, and I'm married. We have a three- and a six-year-old, and I actually have uh, a daughter that I fostered in the States um, when I was 30 and she was 17, just to clarify the math. Um, and she's here uh, today as well. You can say hello to her, but she's over here to live with me for the next year. And she's bringing another beautiful life into our family. So my family is ever growing in my, in my house. So please say hello to them. And so we're looking at Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. I don't know if you've been here for the last two weeks. If you haven't, on the first week, Owen talked a little bit about... Is that going to go? Well, we'll come back to that. Come back to that. He talked a little bit about prayer and action. Um, he talked about God putting plans in our hearts, and he talked about God's heart is always to rebuild. We looked at that in chapters 1 and 2. I was really impressed upon that when I, was, I got to be here. I was actually in the service, and it was really this whole thing of God's heart is always to rebuild really resonated with me as I thought about this and poured over this. The next week... Um, we got to hear last week from Louise Jones, and she talked about chapters 3 and 4, about collaboration and opposition. Um, I wasn't here in person. I really wish I was. I was teaching somewhere else in the building, but I got to listen to it during the week, and it just ministered. I really encourage you to go back and listen to both of them. It's the first week up as well. To go back and listen to these, because they can really, even if you can't be present when they're given these talks, Go back and sit with them, because when I sat and listened to Louise's talk, I just felt like God was speaking right to my heart, and just right into everything that I needed to hear. So she talked about strength in the rubble, and the thing that is most broken within you um, has the most potential to strengthen you. That really, really touched me as I was thinking about that. And she talked about rebuilding their safety, their identity. In community, everyone was called to play their part, not for personal gain, but for greater good of the community. And that all I can do is bring all of me, and that's good enough. Intentionally, that we can be community and family with each other to surrender and serve. And she challenged us with questions like, where has the rubble piled up in our lives that we need to allow God in to help us rebuild and set the rebel into new patterns? So when we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, um, you have an Ezra just before it. They think originally the books were combined. You have, I'll go back to this. In the physical, Ezra came to restore the temple. Okay? And in the physical, Nehemiah came to restore the city. But in the spiritual, Ezra came to restore deeper community with God. And in the spiritual, Nehemiah came to restore deeper community with each other. And that was one of the things Louise challenged us last week, is to always be thinking about both the physical and the spiritual. 
How are they happening? Where are they at work in our lives? What's happening there? And in the book of Nehemiah, we can see that one is not important than the other. Ezra needed Nehemiah, and Nehemiah needed Ezra. We needed both, and the community needed both. We needed this guy who was a governor. Um, He really understood governance. He knew management really well, you could say, of people. He knew how to draw people together to get them working and to get them going in something. And Ezra knew how to draw people to the heart of God. And you have this beautiful picture of these two people working together. I love what... I'm actually going to hold back on that second. Eugene Peterson said... Um, just about the book of Nehemiah, he says, separating life into distinct categories of sacred and secular damages, sometimes irreparably, any attempt to live a whole and satisfying life, a coherent life with meaning and purpose, a life lived to the glory of God. Nevertheless, the practice is widespread. But where did all these people come up with the habit of separating themselves and the world around them into two camps? It surely wasn't from the Bible The Holy Scriptures from beginning to end strenuously resist such a separation. The damage to life is most obvious when the separation is applied to daily work. It is common for us to refer to the work of pastors, of priests, and missionaries as sacred. And that of lawyers, farmers, and engineers as secular. But it's also wrong. Work by its very nature is holy. And I want to talk a little bit today and unpack this idea of separation. And where in our hearts have we created separation? To community, to each other, whether it's males and females, whether it's color, whether it's race, whether it's social status, whether it's wealth, economics. Where have we created a separation? So I'm going to look at that a little bit. It might make us a bit uncomfortable but I think it's where we need to go today as a community. So let's go for that. Wait a second. So as we dive into Nehemiah 5, we're just going to look and see how the people of God had to struggle to obtain deeper community. We're actually going to take a look at it. In Nehemiah 5, were immediately drawn into a conflict within the community that Nehemiah and Ezra were trying to build. So I'm going to actually read. You can actually open your Bibles to Nehemiah 5. If you have a red Bible, it's on page 489. I'm going to read from both what you have in your hands, and then I might reference some from the message as well. Um, just to help bring clarity around some of what we're reading. So I'm just going to start with the first five verses there. Nehemiah 5, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields, our vineyards, belong to others. This is really hard because right away what's happening is they had just bought back their brothers and sisters, their family, their friends, and now they were selling each other just to get food. And they were actually charging them excessive tax on this. They were gouging them as Eugene Peterson. I'm going to read it again just from the message. And I really just want you to listen and hear what the Lord is saying here. A great protest was mounted by the people, including the wives, against their fellow Jews. Some said, we have big families and we need food just to survive. Others said, we're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and homes to get enough grain to keep from starving. And others said, we're having to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. Look, we're the same flesh and blood as our brothers here. Our children are just as good as theirs, yet here we are having to sell our children off as slaves. Some of our daughters have already been sold, and we can't do anything about it because our fields and vineyards are owned by somebody else. Nobody chooses to be into slavery. There's usually a reason that things have happened in life. There's a reason that someone has ended up homeless. There's usually something that's happened economically in their life. There's a reason that people get enslaved to different addictions or different things that go on that you see around us, all around us, all the time. There's a reason that you and I Something that's broken. But what did Owen say a couple weeks ago? God always wants to... God always wants to... Rebuild. God is in the business of rebuilding. Of repairing. Of rebuilding hearts. Of taking what's broken, as Louise talked about. And setting a new pattern. God is calling you to that. He's calling the city to that, this community to that. And we need to be champions. Nehemiah here, we're going to see this in a minute, listened. That was the first thing he needed to do. The very first thing he needed to do to this was listen. Have we shut our ears to the people around us? Have we become so desensitized because we hear so much of all that's wrong in the world and even in our own communities? Have we forgot? Have we lost sight? I hope today you're reminded of where you came from, of what God brought you out of, to set you up, to shake the dust off of you, and make you a son and daughter of God. To help other people see that in them is such a gift that we have in community. What is our response to oppression around us? Nehemiah was seeing that there was great oppression. People were starving. People were selling their children in order to eat. That's the reality of the situation. There's a couple of books that um, I was reading about. And one of them... I, I'm actually only looked at them very quickly, but I want to get my hands on them. 
but I listened and listened to two men talk about, they're here from Dublin. Uh, this gentleman is originally from Zimbabwe, but he lives here in Dublin. And another gentleman who is Irish, named Richard Carson and him, were discussing these two books. And out of it came this quote. One of the books is called, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Powerful book. If you can get your hands on you can come to me afterwards. But it just helps you think about this. Uh, and the other one is Wide Awake, An Honest Look at What It Means to Be White by Daniel Hill. And I really love uh, just even the premise that they talked about that these books were talking about and where we separate them. Um, and Gerard ch- challenges us that people love the status quo as long as it is benefiting them. And that's true. Anybody recognize this? Anybody know what this is? This is Lady Justice. She is at the Dublin Castle. When I first arrived, um, one of my employers took me around and told me lots about the city. And one of the things he took me to was this. And he told me how, what do I see that's unusual about this particular statue? Her back is to the city. And this, this statue is actually all over the world at lots of gates. Um, sometimes she's blindfolded. She's holding scales and she's holding a sword, typically every time, but she's supposed to represent justice. And it's just interesting to note that Lady Justice is faced inward into Dublin Castle and that her back is to the city. I'm interested in thinking about this dynamic and how this has affected our own culture as we think about justice in the city. Richard said, there's a real danger that our urgency to get race right paints over the fundamental cracks and wealth inequities at the heart of our society. Richard talked about how these are American books that he read. He was thinking about what it means for Ireland. Okay? Here we tend to use the term mixed marriage to describe the Catholic and Protestant divide. All right? We consider these things through the lens of our sectarian past and present. But another important factor is economics. So as we challenge and we think about and we read about the separations that different societies have had to overcome and different communities are working through, what are we working through here in Ireland? And where have we created separation? And what can we do to be more inclusive? What was Nehemiah's response? So let's look at that. You can go back to Nehemiah 5, verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing? What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury that you're charging them. A hundredth part of the money, the grain, and the new wine and oil. 
And this is kind of amazing to me, is the people's response, actually, straight away. It was an anointing on Nehemiah. He wasn't a priest. He was a layman. He was a governor. He worked for the city. And there was an anointing on this man. And he called the people together, and he said, stop it. (laughs) He said, this can't happen. And they said, we will give it back. They said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Nehemiah knew that slavery doesn't happen overnight as well. He knew that there's a slow progression to that. He also knew that the people, he trusted their ability to do something about it. And God trusts us to do something about it. He knows that we're able and that we're capable. He's calling us to do something about it. When I was 19... Um, I went away, well, 18, actually, I went away to a Bible college where they taught me, we were working on Indian reservations, American Indian reservations, and we were working with these families in lots of different ways to help with food, clothing, um, and Bible clubs with the children. And I learned about how to do all this, and I came back to my home church in Atlanta, Georgia, that was in Oklahoma, And when I came back to my home church, I was excited to do something in my community. I just wanted to do something. I was 19 years old. I didn't have a lot of money. I would say I probably had very little money. I didn't have backing. I didn't have a big business plan. I didn't have a bean. I didn't know what I was doing. But I went to my church and I said... There are families 10 minutes from our door living in government housing with an outcry to say, we're hungry. Will you help us? We need bill assistance. Will you help us? Will you do something about it? And I didn't know what I was doing. I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. But I pulled together my friends from college and we went out to this community every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. We actually went out to several communities, earned the trust of the families, just went door to door, talking to the families, learning what is it that you need? What is it that you want? I did this all summer so that by autumn, those families then felt they could trust me to bring them into our church on a Saturday, bust them in, teach them about Jesus, feed them lunch. And at the same time, we were still visiting every week and praying with families. And in my first year of doing it, a businessman handed me $10,000, and I didn't know what to do with it again. I just looked at him and said, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And I said, okay, so what, what are we to do with this? <laughs> and he helped me make a plan. He helped me develop a dream, an idea, a heart to just do something. I bring up that little story because you might be 
15, 19, 30, 40, 50. There was a lady that was 65. She came alongside me. She goes, I don't know if I can be of any help. And I said, yes, absolutely. And she came and ran because families were wanting to send children as young as three to five years old. And so they, I said, would you help me organize that safely? Could we organize like a crash for these families? And she helped me do that. And she was amazing. And I say that to say, God's not finished with you yet. There's something else maybe for you to do. There's a dream. There's something in you maybe that's either that you've tried before and it's failed Maybe there's rubble there that needs to have a new pattern, and you've even been hurt or frustrated over the plans that you've tried to make and do something, and God is trying to remind that in you again. What was that thing? What was that dream? What was that idea that you had that maybe didn't work out before? Maybe God is calling you to try again. Try that thing again. Don't give up on that. Whatever that is, God put that in your heart. Don't negate his voice in your life. You are sons and daughters, and he loves you, and he believes in you, and he trusts you with the city. And there's something for us to do. What is it? I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Or, where you, or how busy you are in the in-between. I'm in that in-between, and oh my goodness, it's busy. I had no idea. It's great, but it's busy. And we think, I don't have another ounce of space to think about what I could be doing to defend the oppressed. But God is saying we, we got to do something. Nehemiah 5 finishes with how Nehemiah never took a governor's salary. Even though he was feeding 150 people a day at his table, 150 people a day, he never took the governor's salary, which is impressive. He also worked alongside the people rebuilding the city. It makes a conscious effort there to remind us he got in there and he made everybody working with him do the same. Get in there. He demanded the same from his brothers. He set an example for us both in prayer and in action. What are we doing to create a culture of inclusiveness versus separation? A culture of honor Versus a culture of shame. A culture of quality or common ground. God is calling us into deeper community. I know this has probably been uncomfortable. And I know for a lot of us it's something you've heard again and again. And I don't want to sound like one more person saying it. That was my prayer today. Because I know we all know about social justice. I know we know about... And Ireland... We are one of the most generous countries. We give. We give our time. We give our finances. But this is calling us as a community 
into something deeper. Who of a different race, of a different Catholic or Protestant background, male, female, all the things we do, who have we had in our home for dinner? Have we invited them and asked them to bring their food that you would really love to... That's like one of the best. I love as an American when somebody wants to eat my cornbread. I know that sounds cheesy, but it, it, I don't know what it does to me, but I am so proud when I get to make cornbread and get someone else to eat it. And if they want my black eyed peas too, wow, I am over the moon. <laughs> Come on, that's right. It is such good food. And on New Year's Day, that's what we do for, yeah, we just eat, we eat black eyed peas, we'll eat them all the time. But cornbread is such a good thing. Food is the great equalizer. When you can honor another culture, another person, and allow them space to share their food, something beautiful happens. People love sharing what they have. When you give somebody the gift of giving that, it's huge, and it brings people together. So that's, that's just one idea around being inclusive. Where have I created separation? So this is what I'm going to leave you with today. Where have I created separation between myself and others? What can I do to create bridges? What one thing can I begin to do this week to become more inclusive? And I want to go back and read... um, There's a verse, I'm just going to, there's several different, I was reading different Bibles on this passage, and there's one version that talks that Nehemiah shook out his robes. He shook out his robes, and Eugene Peterson says he turned his pockets inside out. He says, you're gouging my people. And he said, he turned them out and said, may God do the same. And he shook out his robes if we don't respond to this. It's, it's kind of a direct call and challenge to us. It's hard to get around it. So the last one there is, where is God calling us as a community to shake out the folds of our robes? Where is he calling us to do that? To respond to oppression in our city, in our back door. I love this by Richards, my final quote. To address race well, we have to challenge some of our theological frameworks, like reducing conversion to the idea that we invite Jesus into our hearts. Rather, it is a conversion of ourselves to Christ, who is in the margins of society and is calling us, as we are reconciled to God, to be reconciled to one another. Let's let that sink in for a minute. I want to invite... Uh, the worship team up and Sam is going to come back up and we're just going to respond to this I'm going to go back to these questions where have I created separation between myself and others and what can I do to create bridges what one thing can I begin to do this week to become 
more inclusive. You may be thinking, this isn't a thing for me. This is a thing for everybody. Everybody deals with this. If we're honest with ourselves, everybody deals with this. So let's tackle it. Let's look at it. If God is challenging us in his word, let's look at it. And we have to start right here with our own hearts and how we see each other, how we see the city. And let's repair. I want to challenge you, don't go back into slavery. If you've come into, come out of that place, if you've come out of a place that has um, been broken and, and God has brought repair there, get someone alongside of you, as Louise was talking about last week, and help. We are, that's what deeper community is. And walk this out. And walk this out. Don't do it by yourself. We need each other. I need you. I need you. I need you to know the good stuff and the bad stuff. I need you to walk with me and my family.